Psalm 119, 81 through 88. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have my, put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not for, forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pits to trap me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your unfailing love, preserve my life, that I may obey the statutes of your mouth. Uh, Pray with me before we dive into this section of Psalm 119. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this gathering of your people. I pray for each one of us, whether it's we're here in person or whether we're listening online, or even those in different churches worshiping you right now throughout the world. I pray for each believer and each seeker of you that they would have their ears opened and minds renewed. And yes, that we may obey your precepts. That's what we want to do. So help us, teach us. God, I pray for those who may not be here today, whether it's sickness or physical conditions or uh, emotional stress, whatever the case may be. I pray that you would give them comfort and rest, knowing, giving them hope that you're with them, even in the midst of suffering and struggles. I pray for those who are seekers of God, of you, that they would have their eyes open today and realize maybe that they need to have a relationship with you. I pray that This section of Psalm 119 will encourage us and help us to know who you are and to know how to live and to be encouraged that you are with us every single day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to start... You know, when you prepare, you don't think that your voice may go at any time. But I'm going to start this way. This is a song written by William Mackey in 1863. I'm going to read five of the verses he wrote, but I hope you'll join me in singing the chorus at the end. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. We praise Thee, O God, for Thy Spirit of light, who hath shown us our Savior and scattered our night. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who hath borne all our sins and hath cleansed every stain. All glory and praise to the God of all grace, who hath brought us and sought us and guided our ways. Revive us again, fill each heart with Thy love, May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. And if you know the chorus to revive us again, you can join me right now. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. 
Hallelujah, thine the glory, revive us again. Our takeaway today, our takeaway focus, it's not on the screen, but it's very simple because you just basically sang it. The takeaway today is, revive us again, O Lord, that we may obey your word. It's taken straight from the last verse of Psalm 119, 81 to 88 in this section. Verse 88, I think, is the key verse, and each verse is going to lead up to that saying of the psalmist. In your unfailing love, preserve my life that I may obey the statutes of your mouth. Preserve my life. I believe I said it in recent past of this section of Psalm 119, the series. Preserve my life means revive me. It means give me life. So it also could mean this, revive the people of God with fullness of life in His favor. The psalmist is saying, in your unfailing love, revive me. Give me life that I may obey the statutes of your mouth. The psalmist gives that cry. I wrote down, continue to give me energy. Do you need energy sometimes? You know who can give you the best energy? God. He does. He gives the best energy. He preserves life. But as you read and we heard Psalm 119.88, this cry for revive me or preserve my life, it's not just some empty plea. It's not saying revive me. He gives a reason, correct? His reasoning is this. Revive me or preserve my life that I may obey your statutes of your mouth. He doesn't just say revive me, God, so I can do whatever I want. He says, revive me, God, give me energy, preserve my life, that I may obey the statutes of your mouth. I love that. And what revives this psalmist and revives us? It's God's unfailing love. If you didn't know before you got into this building or came into this congregational meeting, this meeting of people that worship God, if you don't know it by now, God loves you. God loves us. God loves who? The whole world. If you didn't know that before today, now you know it. God loves us so much that He revives us, gives us energy to obey His statutes. And statutes here, um, remember when we started Psalm 119, there's synonyms for the same thing, right? There's eight of them in the Psalm 119. There's eight synonyms for the same thing, talking about the same thing. And statutes here means testimony. It could mean this, the code of law in general as a testimony of God. And when I thought of that, the code of law in general, I went straight to Jesus and what He taught. If you have, Did anybody get the reference cards I printed out for you from the back? Those are the references I'll be going to. So you have them in your hand, I hope. Um, if you don't, I, hopefully you can follow along. But I'm going to what Jesus taught about the greatest commandment. Okay, It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to start in Mark real quick here. So Mark, and I think this is key to understanding the law 
and what we're supposed to be doing. So Mark chapter 12, we're going to take a look at each of them. And I want to point out phrases in each of these sections. It's the, I think it's the same story, but each gospel writer writes it down a little differently for us. So Math, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. And then we're going to go to Matthew, and then we're going to go to Luke. So Jesus, one of the teachers of the law, came and heard debate. Jesus and the, law, the religious the Sadducees are debating on the marriage in resurrection. And then noticing that Jesus given a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, what's the most important? So he's trying to get Jesus to tell him the most important. And Jesus answers, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then this key phrase at the very end of this section of Jesus' teaching, or in the middle here, it says, There is no commandment greater than these. You realize He only said commandment, and what did He say? There was two of them, right? But they go together. All right, And then the teacher said, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask Him any more questions. So Jesus said, these are the two greatest. No other commandment is greater than these. And then He also said to the man, you're not far from the kingdom. So the man understood, maybe there's, He's not far from the kingdom. So that's one of the Gospel writers. Go to Matthew. So get those two key phrases. There's no commandment greater than these. You're not far from the kingdom. And then Matthew 22, Jesus, uh, Matthew writes down this. In Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the key phrase. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are what the law and the prophets hang on. You ever hang your clothes with a hanger? Just think of that. In your closet, look at the hangers now. You have two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and prophets are on those two hangers. That's amazing to me. Jesus says those. And all the law and prophets are on those. And then Luke chapter 10. And this one even gives it more of a push, I think. The Gospel writer Luke here. Chapter 10, starting in verse 25. We won't read all of 25 to 37, but... So again, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So he has... This writer puts a different 
question in there. The expert says, hey Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know. And Jesus, look at verse 26. What is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus poses this key phrase. How do you read it? Okay? He doesn't answer it right away. Um, Sometimes I want to answer everything. I have that tendency. I want to answer somebody's question immediately from the Bible. That's my like mentality. But sometimes we may have to say, how do you read it? What do you think? And the man answers, right? Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. And here's the next key phrase in this passage, I believe. Do this and you will live. The man answers correctly, right? But Jesus said, okay, you've answered correctly. Do it and live. You're going to live if you follow the, what you just told me. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus replied with that story, right? We won't get into the whole story, but go to the end. Verse 36 Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So he's posing the question, who's your neighbor? The expert said, the one who had mercy on him. And then the third key phrase, I believe, in this section, Jesus says, go and do likewise. So you have, remember from Mark, there's no commandment greater than these. You're not far from the kingdom, expert of the law. Matthew says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And then in this section, Jesus poses the question, how do you read it, expert? Tell me what you think of the law. What do you say? And then he says, do this and you will live and go and do likewise. Remember our question of Psalm 119? What's our main theme question throughout this series? What do we do with this beautiful book? Right? God's Word, the Holy Bible. What do we do with it? This section in Psalm 119, it's the Hebrew letter Kaf. It will encourage us to continue in our journey of faith and to run the race marked out for us. Remember, each verse I said, I think leads up to Psalm 119 verse 88 that says, In your unfailing love, revive me, okay? That I may obey your statutes from your mouth so let's look at this and throughout this section i'm gonna there's two main sections that i want you that point to our takeaway revive us again O lord that we may obey your statutes or your word number one if you want to take notes number one it says this and i wrote it down like this and i'll tell you from the verses here it says lord revive us in the midst of the fight Lord, revive us in the midst of the fight. And you see, we're going to go through this section. In Psalm 1, we're going to start there. My soul faints with longing for your salvation. That word faints there, okay? Faints with longing. It means this, exhausted by longing. Do you ever get exhausted? I feel exhausted right now because of illness, Okay? But do you ever get exhausted with longing 
for salvation of God. This psalmist is saying, my soul is exhausted with longing, by longing for your salvation. He's constantly looking and longing for that salvation. And it's exhausting him. My soul faints. And then, the second half of that verse, but I have put my hope in your word. But I have put my hope in your word. And that hope, remember that word if you were with us earlier section, that hope word also means wait for. Okay? He's exhausted with longing or by longing for his salvation because he's waiting for God's word. Okay? What do we wait for? What are you waiting for? Anybody? What are we waiting for? Heaven, eternity, right? We're waiting for Jesus to come back, correct? Are we longing for that? Now let me ask a personal question for all of us, because I don't know how I would answer it right now, truthfully. I might answer it truthfully with a, I'm not doing it. Are we exhausted by longing for Jesus to come back? Are we exhausted Or do we just live life like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But are we exhausted with waiting for His salvation? What do we do with this book? Are we exhausting over it? Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. I've quoted this before, even, even possibly in the Psalm 119 series. But what are we waiting for? Peter gives us a great picture of what we are longing for. Okay? What we are waiting for. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 8. And I think on if you have a card with the references, I think the net, they're in order. So if I get done with one and you quickly turn to the next one, you'll be there already, okay? So 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare." Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's a convicting question, huh? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul 
also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Did you see a kind of recurring theme in this section? We're looking forward to that day. We're waiting for that day. But what do we need to do now? We ought to live holy and godly lives. We we're looking forward and we're making every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. I don't know about you, but making every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him is exhausting. Isn't it? We are constantly reminding ourselves, oh, I need to follow God in this way. I'm not doing it right now. I've got to do it. It's exhausting to be found spotless and blameless. Is it not? Because in today's world, people will try to nitpick and find that thing you're doing wrong, right? It's exhausting to be spotless and blameless because we're making the effort to do that. Going back to the psalm. So you have verse 82 now. It's a similar theme. So he says in verse 81, My soul faints with longing for your salvation. But verse 82, My eyes fail looking for your promise. So again, it's, he's looking for God's promise, but his eyes are failing him. He's just exhausted, okay? He sometimes maybe thinks he's a failure. But look at this. This is how I worded it for myself. And for you all. The journey is exhausting. Is it not? Is it? The journey of faith is exhausting. And sometimes failure occurs. Do you agree with that? Sometimes we fail. But the hope we have in God's Word fuels us to continue on. We are longing for the salvation from God and we are looking for God's promise. That's what keeps me going. I hope it keeps you going. Without God's Word and the truths and promises that are in it, I don't know how I would just continue to be fueled and encouraged to make the effort to be found spotless and blameless. Does this book fuel you? I hope it does. And the psalmist is saying, I, even though my soul faints, I'm exhausted, even though my eyes fail looking for your promise, I'm still going to hope in your word. I'm still going to be fueled by that hope. Verse 83, continue. we'll come back to the question in verse 82 in a minute. Though, verse 83, though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. This is continuing the theme of the fight we're in. Okay, he says, though I am like a wineskin in the smoke. You're like, what is that? Okay, I was the same way. Okay, and one thing that helped me, a couple commentaries, but this is how I worded it for my own self from studying it. Though our lives seem to be about to burst, becoming ruined and useless, just like a wineskin in the smoke. We won't forget God's decrees. This psalmist is saying, though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, that means it's going to become useless, okay? The wineskin in the smoke becomes useless. There's no need for it. It's going to be ruined, okay? But this psalmist says, even though I'm like that, I'm not going to forget your decrees. 
There were some times, maybe in our lives, that we may think this way. I've thought about this in my life sometimes. I'm useless. I can't do anything. Do you ever think like that? The psalmist is saying, even though I may become useless at certain points in life, I'm not going to forget God's decrees. I'm not going to forget God's word. If you're thinking that way today, like, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything good. Don't forget God's laws. Don't forget God's word. You're not useless. Verse 85, we're going we're gonna to come back to 84 as well. So verse 85, the psalmist says, The arrogant dig pits to trap me, contrary to your law. This is just basically people are trying to uh, trap him and just probably go away from God, be, uh, becoming astray. This psalmist's life is not easy. Alright? Is your life easy? Is your life easy? Do people try to lead us astray? Do people lie to us? I think it's ultimately from the devil, the evil one. Does he lie? Are there lies out there that try to trap everybody to go that way and not go with God's truth? There is lies out there. And this psalmist is saying the arrogant are trapping me. They're trying to trap me. That's contrary to your law, God. This life is not easy. Verse 86 continues on. All your commands are trustworthy. He doesn't stray from saying that. Okay? In every section of Psalm 119 we're going to cover is basically, you can sum it up, God's Word is trustworthy. It's truth. Okay? And the psalmist says they're trustworthy. And then he says, help me. For I am being persecuted without cause. You look around the earth, or the world, there's persecution going on, is there not? The Christian life around the world is not easy. People are being persecuted without cause. They didn't do anything wrong and they're being persecuted. This psalmist is, doing, is going through the same thing. But he cries out, help me! Can we cry out the same thing? Can you cry out the same thing to God? Help me. I've done it before. I said, help me, God. I don't know how to go through this. Help me. And the psalmist is saying that. You can use the word succor here. S-U-C-C-O-R. That's another English word that is the meaning here. And I looked it up. Yes, I had to look it up. This is what succor means. Assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. The psalmist is saying, I am in distress. I am in a hardship. People are persecuting me and I'm not even doing anything wrong. Help me. Assist me, God. We need to do the same, maybe. Verse 87 continues his theme here. They almost wiped me from the earth. He's almost gone. But I have not forsaken your precepts. Once again, the psalmist here is even to the point of like dying, he still doesn't forsake God's precepts. 
His Word. So you see that. The first leading us up to revive us again that we may obey God's Word. Lord, revive us in the midst of the fight. We are in a fight. We are in a battle. A struggle. A hardship. But don't forget that God is with us. So then you go back to verse 82. You have a question there. When will you comfort me? In verse 84, he has two questions. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The second point leading us up to our main point, the takeaway, is Lord, revive us in the midst of honest questioning. The psalmist honestly questions God. Do you ever honestly question God? Like, what are you doing, God? I don't see how you're going to work this out. Why are you doing this? Or when are you going to come make things right? Do you ever ask those questions? The psalmist here is asking those types of questions. They're honest. Okay? If we're all honest, we've probably asked those maybe today. Okay? Honest questioning. When will you comfort me? He's just saying, God, I'm in distress. My soul is exhausted. My eyes are failing. When, when are you going to comfort me? He's in distress. And then the second question, how long must your servant wait? This is a, another meaning of it. Each transla- one of your translations may say this. I'm not sure. But it's one of the meanings of this, how long must your servant wait, is this. How many are the days of your servant? He's asking God, how many more years am I, how many more days am I going to live? That's what he's asking God. And Psalm 90, verse 12, if you go back a few pages in Psalm, Psalm 90 is written by Moses, and Moses says this. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses cries out to God and says, Teach us to number our days. The psalmist saying, How many more days do I have, God? Moses says, Teach us to number our days. And Matthew Matthew 6.34, when I think of days and how many more days do I have on earth, I try not to think that way, but sometimes we do. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, He's teaching about worrying. He says, don't worry, look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how I take care of them. How much more am I going to take care of you? And he says this after Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. And this is one of my favorite verses I try to remind myself of. Verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The psalmist says, How many more days do I have, God? And we learn from Jesus Each day has enough trouble of its own. So don't worry about what day is coming. You're living now, right? And going back to 2 Peter, how are we ought to live being exhausted and looking for the promise of God and Jesus' return? We ought to live holy and godly lives. 
Don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough trouble, okay? Tomorrow is going to worry about itself. Don't worry what's going to happen tomorrow. Right now we have an opportunity to say, God, You gave me today to live for You and to reach other people. So don't go a day without saying, thank You, God, for the breath You have given me. And I love this. Remember James? Who's James? Jesus' half-brother? Um, James chapter 4. And this helps us out too. James chapter 4. I wonder where he's learning some of this stuff from. You think he's learning from his half-brother, Jesus? James chapter 4, verse 13 and following. James writes this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a midst that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James is saying, don't say I'm going to do this tomorrow and make money or do my business and make money. Say this, if the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And at the end, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. What if you plan the things for the future, but you're not living and doing anything good right now on earth, in the present, today? What if somebody asks you, what are you doing? Oh, I got stuff planned. Like, tomorrow I'm going to make money. I'm going to do my business tomorrow, and the next day I'm going to make money. But today I'm just going to not do anything. Is that good? I don't think so. I used to be, uh, I used to never use the phrase, Lord willing, but now I'm like, that is the perfect phrase. I'll see you Sunday, Lord willing, if I'm talking to you on Tuesday, right? I'll see you at Life Group, Lord willing, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But today, we have an opportunity, if we have breath in our lungs, we have the opportunity to number our days and to say I got today I'm going to do good today for God to reach other people and going back to Jesus love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself there's people out there that need our love so we have the next question we're not going to go into detail on the next question but he just says when will you punish my persecutors We've asked that before, maybe, to God. When are you going to make the things right? When are you going to make the enemies disappear, right? But the psalmist is just saying these honest questions. When will you punish my persecutors? I know you can do it, God, but when are you going to do it? So, honest questioning. So we have the first point, remember, Lord, revive us in the midst of the fight. We are in a fight. We are in a battle. 
And then, Lord, revive us in the midst of honest questioning. There's questions that we ask. Um, In our Thursday morning life group, one of the questions we started out with was, do you ever talk back to God? (laughs) And everybody was like, yes. Uh, That's honest questioning, I think. Talking back to God. You're saying, how long is this going to happen? When are you coming back? Why are you doing this? We do ask those questions. And I don't think it's wrong to ask honest questions to the God who knows everything, right? So, Lord, revive us in the midst of the fight. Lord, revive us in the midst of honest questioning, which leads into the takeaway we said earlier. Revive us again, O Lord, that we may obey Your Word. Even in the midst of the fight and the honest questioning, we want to be revived to obey God's Word. Tim Keller, in his The Songs of Jesus, he goes with his wife, they work together on this. He went through a whole year with daily devotions in the Psalms. And I love how he did this section. He says this for this section. And this is the late Tim Keller. So he passed away this past year. He writes this. The psalmist has reached the end of his rope. He's at the end of his ability to endure. His suffering is not deserved, and yet there is no relief. In such extreme moments, what is there to do? Do what you have been doing, staying in the Word and praying honestly and fervently as we see here. When suffering comes, prayer and Bible reading are the first activities to go. In reality, they are your only life preservers. What's the psalmist doing here? He's praying and he's focusing on God's Word. He's not going to forget it. He's not going to forsake it. But Tim Keller, I believe, is right when he says, when suffering comes, prayer and Bible reading are the first to go. They get on the hindsight. A simple invitation today. I'll use Tim Keller's word, a life preserver, but I believe God's word, Jesus, is a life preserver. He came to die, shed his blood to cleanse us from sin. It's only by His blood we're cleansed. And somebody reminded me this week that one of the essential things we need to be reminded of as well is repentance. If we don't repent, how can we call out to God for, to save us if we don't repent of our sins? So we repent of our sins. We say, Jesus, You're the Savior. You're Messiah, the Son of God. And then remember Peter, they said, what do we got to do? Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the invitation. And these two choruses helped me this week. We sang one earlier, but I'm going to sing the first one. If you know it, join in. And then we're going to sing the first, the one we sang earlier to finish. And then I'll pray. 
I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. And then a more catchier one. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again, O Lord, that I may obey your word. That's our takeaway today. Pray with me, and I'm going to pray Tim Keller's prayer because it's so good. So pray with me as we come sing this last song. Lord, when I have reached the end of my rope, of my wisdom and strength, that doesn't mean I've run out of Your rope. It is always there beside me in my access to You through prayer and Your Word. Don't let us neglect our life preservers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.